0: Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach.
1: Good morning, you all. I'm glad to be back with you with our uh, weekly show, Taking Care of Business. Uh, my guest today represents a dream that many of us have. I don't know if for the right reason or wrong reasons. From time to time, we also play with our imagination, kind of thinking about it. Our guest today is Jim Button. He's one of the six co-founders of Village Brewery in Calgary. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, David. Um, for a change, usually I start by uh, you know sharing your bio. Where did you work? How did you get This time I'm going to start the other way with awards uh, because I think they kind of uh, simplify who you are. um, So the first award that I kind of noticed was Philanthropy Award from the Canadian Association of Fundraising Professionals. I didn't know that exists, but they call me every week, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Another award you won is E-Award for Community Service from Alberta Venture Magazine, uh, twice 40 under 40 award uh, from uh, Avenue Magazine. And I think a highlight for me, from what I read, is the 2015 uh, Sherald Moore Award by the Calgary Chamber of Commerce for being an outstanding volunteer and community supporter.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Now, a little bit about what you you do for a living, right? (laughs) You you also work, right? I just volunteer, that's right. (laughs) Um, so, Jim is a strategist with uh, Evans Hunt Group, a digital marketing firm, and you told me you were the fourth employee that I. Yeah, am the fourth, fourth
2: or fifth employee at Evans Hunt. It's, uh, now, it's now over 90 people. Oh, wow. And you're still there? They <laughs> yeah. still, There's so many people they can't find me. <laughs> I see. Uh, uh,
1: prior, you were the VP of Corporate and Community Affairs at uh, Big Grow uh, Brewery. Yes. Uh, you co founded also the Event Group. Yes, I did. And I uh, also worked in uh, several agencies, such as Venture Communication, G- JWR Advertising, McLaren Lintas, and Coset Communications. That's right. Three of those in Toronto, one in Calgary. Um, and as of 2010, you are one of the six co-founders, as we mentioned, of Village Brewery. Yes. That was the fun one. And... Last but not least, and the most important maybe, you're married to Tracy and you have two kids, a boy and a girl, 18 and 16, almost 16. Almost 16, that's right. Perfect. Um, by the way, congratulations, your son just turned 18 on Saturday, just right? turned 18, yeah. heading off to university this uh, end of the summer. So one, one on, down, one to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Four empty nesters. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure your wife is not happy with what we said right yeah. now. <laughs>
2: um
1: Jim, you usually start with some questions about uh, where you're from. We want our listeners to learn about the per- the person before we talk about business. Sure. And, um Like most uh, business owners and entrepreneurs, I have to dig so hard to find your history because none of you want to cooperate. <laughs> we all send me stuff about your business. So you moved to Calgary. So where are you from? Toronto? Outside oh, Toronto?
2: I was uh, I was born in Germany. Oh wow! Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. My dad was in the uh, military, so we uh, actually moved from Calgary to Germany, uh, born there, moved to uh, Sardinia, Italy, and then Chicoutimi, Quebec, Cold Lake, Alberta, and then settled in Ottawa for grade four. Oh, wow. So exactly. how many languages do you
1: speak as a result? At
2: one time, the family folklorists, I used to be able to speak German, French, Italian, and English, because all my friends, that's what they spoke. and. Uh, I can barely hold on to English now.
1: <laughs> I see. And uh, can you sell beer in all those four uh, languages? Uh, beer sells itself. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We'll get to the beer later. Sure. Um, so you grew up. How was it in like moving every few years as you, a kid?
2: That's a really interesting question. You know, I think it all depends on the on the age you're at and the personality. I've got uh, three brothers. So there's four boys, and I think. It impacted my older brothers uh, a little differently than it would have impacted myself and my younger brother, Just because we were younger, moving around, to me it was just, I think it built who I was. I'm a very open person, make friends easily, I, you know, that type of thing uh, comes naturally to me. So I think that's in large part because I moved so much when I was young, I had to move all the time, uh, so I make new friends every time.
1: What age did you kind of move to
2: Canada? Grade four. So what's that? Grade four in
1: Ottawa, but you grade said four. also she couldn't Oh, uh, sorry. Quebec, okay, where? yeah,
2: she could would have been, uh, would have been six years, five six years old.
1: I see. So you're in Canada for a few years now. That's right. I see. Yeah. And um, so your father was in the army in the military. He was in, he was in the air, air
2: force. Air yeah. force. And your mom? Mom was a nurse mm. before she uh, before she started having four orangutans. I see. <laughs>
1: um, and um, you know. We'll get later to uh, your your work and your community service and, and but is it kind of something that comes from the family? Did you see it at home, or you just on your own kind of decided to become a volunteer
2: and a community service person? I I yeah, is it in our family? I think no. My dad, my dad was uh, my dad was a very giving man, and my mom was really giving. Um, the difference might be. Um, When my dad retired, he started a company, and and he had to invest a lot of time into that company. My mom was working. We were kind of left on our own, Mm -hmm. which I think happened a lot more uh, back 30, 40 years ago. The kids were just sent out to do it themselves. (laughs) I didn't really start volunteering until I moved to Calgary in 1993. I see. Okay. Um, Your siblings, what do they do? One is here in Calgary. He's a retired... Financial planner, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, one lives in Regina, is retired from the military, and now has been 15 to 20 years as the VP at the University of Regina, and my youngest brother has has uh, been in the te- technology mobile um, space. He's now at Freedom Mobile, living out of Waterloo. Okay, so
1: uh,
2: enough with the family. Let's yeah. focus on so, geography. Yeah. There's too much yeah. talk yeah. about them exactly. already. Exactly,
1: um, so. What kind of a kid were you, you know, you moved to Canada at uh, age six, you said you were very open because of all the traveling and you had to adjust to different uh, environments and cultures. What kind of kid were you, Uh, hyper,
2: quiet, geek? uh, Yeah, I was, uh, I was, every report card says Jim disturbs others, (laughs) Jim needs to focus so I think I might have been hyper, I might have been very social. I was that guy in high school that was friends with each club, whether you were the smokers, whether you were the uh, uh, tech guys, whether you were the, uh, uh, what were the guys that used to do the uh, videos. Anyway, the AV team, the sports team. I was friends with everybody. That's just kind of <laughs> how I've always been. Uh, very social. Got into a lot of trouble. Um, That's perfect. Probably because my younger brother and I just enjoy Causing trouble. <laughs> Any uh, sports extracurricular? Play sports all my life. What kind? What, what's students. your favorite? Uh, my favorite would be soccer. Oh, perfect! For football. Sure. Football. I, I apologize. apologize. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we call it football. Yes. Yes. Right? yes, not
1: the football we play with the hand. See, so if I had said football, then I would have you would have <laughs> asked which football. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to solve it. So, which who's your team? Uh, Bayern. Bayern Munich. Yeah. Yeah,
2: no, that's not... That's <laughs> not this
1: over. conversation is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> um, so um, extracurricular during you know high school? Did you work? Did you I do a, any I, social? I did work?
2: work. I it was. Uh, it was. It, we had to work. Uh, at one point, uh, financially, um, my dad's company didn't do well. We were all. We were all had to go out and make money. So I started my first job at the age of thirteen. Uh, it was. Uh, a newspaper route. I then took on another newspaper route. I then took on delivering samples door-to-door, and then I added uh, delivering flyers for Sandy Boy's Travel and Captain Cook Pizza. And this is where it gets interesting. My younger brother and I started doing that together. and We started a company called JP Enterprises. His name was Pat. And we, we would pay our friends one cent for every flyer. That was delivered, but we were getting paid two cents for every fire. So at an early age, I understood the uh, the power of running your own company. And um, what kind of samples were you kind of? Oh, it could be whatever. Uh, I, I, it doesn't happen as much these days as it did then. But back then, you could have a chocolate delivered, you know, at your door. It could be uh, it could be popcorn. It could have been um, shampoo. It could have been you name it. Uh, well, when we it's talk. Sort of just hang them on the door.
1: When we mention uh, samples, I just want to make sure that uh, everybody <laughs> knows that uh, Jim did not bring us beer samples and uh, we're very disappointed here. No, uh, I mean, we because you can come down
2: and visit me at the brewery. And I'll give we you know it's lie. 5
1: o'clock somewhere. I know <laughs> in Israel it's 5 10 right so I can drink. <laughs> um, so um, if I call one of your teachers, sure, what would he say about it? I say, how's Jim?
2: I want to hire him. What it, kind of person is he? It depends on which teacher. If you call <laughs> Mrs. McFarlane, I spent almost every fourth class underneath her desk. And she used to kick me while I was sitting under that desk, be sure, because I think I was causing her a bit of trouble. That's, uh, that's, uh, and if we call another teacher, who should we call? <laughs> well, who should you call for a good reference? <laughs> yes. Call Mr. Baker. Uh, well, He's hi. my math teacher. He, uh-huh. uh, he was arguably the hardest teacher I ever had in, in school. Um, but the teacher I respect the most because mm. he got me to invest time and, and, and really appreciate math. So mm. ever since then, I've loved math, but he had to sit over my shoulder and pound me. So you graduated from high school and then what? And graduated from high school, went to University of Guelph, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, to, uh, graduated with a uh, psychology major, business minor, then went, uh, came out here to actually to say uh, played on the their football team and was taking marketing, but I got injured, and the course didn't really fit what I was looking for, so I went back east and uh, went to school at Sheridan College for advertising. I see, and that's in, that's in Oakville, in Oakville. Yeah,
1: and uh, you you graduate from uh, your studies, your uh, and and then what?
2: Well, where did you? I, had, I got, went to university and college and then so I started working in a welding factory. I was a welder in a freezer factory uh, for about seven months while I was looking for a job in my uh, chosen career, which was advertising. So and I that went, was where,
1: in Toronto? That was in Guelph. In Guelph, Guelph. Still? Well, Yeah. I see. And uh, where did you get into
2: the advertising world? I got into that in 1987, so probably about the age of 25, 26. Which which company? That was McLaren. My first account was I was uh, uh, what was I a uh, TV buy coordinator? I was a coordinator to buy TV. So I I, I put all the information together for uh, the buyer to be able to um, make purchases on TV time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our client was our our client was Molson. So oh. that's when I really started in the
1: so industry. So that was your first love with that beer? That was my first love with beer. Or you
2: drank during they university? Gave me, they gave me, I loved it at university. <laughs> I, I might have liked it at high school too. <laughs> but it was my first one that, that beer gave back to me. I used to get a, uh, not only did I get paid, but I got a, a certificate for uh, a dozen beer every every two weeks. So the, the uh, you know,
1: moving into the advertising world, was there it was your choice to go and study this and focus on this or someone yeah. influenced you or you had like, no. someone that kind of directed you to this? I
2: remember sitting in our kitchen talking to my dad. My dad was saying, so, because he always drilled it into us to go to university. He said, so, what are you going to do? I said, am I going to be a psychologist? I'm going to be in advertising. My dad's a uh, air traffic controller, navigator. He's a very linear uh, gentleman. And he said, well, you have to pick and I said, I did pick. I said, I'm either going to be this or this. He says, well, you're not picking. I said, no, I am. It's, it's a study of human behavior. And that's that's what I care about. We'll determine what direction I go. So I went in for a Bachelor of Science, actually, and ended up with a Bachelor of Arts because of beer. Mm-hmm. It was just a little bit more work in the BSc than it was for the BA. I, I see.
1: <laughs> so um, during your study, you decided that advertising and marketing is your geek and not psychology.
2: I I still consider them the same thing. I still consider a a good marketer to be somebody that understands human behavior and can uh, read people, can read trends, can read uh, situations really well. I'm that guy that can walk into a room and see who's feeling stressed, who's happy, who's leading the room. I've always had that innate ability, so I knew at an early age that that's what I was going to be. I was always that guy in our our friendship group that was... um, The one that people would come to uh, looking for advice, I was the one that was always organizing the group. So putting people together, bridging ideas and people, that was always who I was. So um, you start
1: with uh, uh, advertising and you buy TV spots. And how long did you do that?
2: I did that there. I eventually became a buyer there um, for three years. And then I went to Cassette, which... become, I thought at the time what I wanted to become was an account executive, you know, get more involved in the strategic aspect of it. So I went and worked at Cassette for a year and a half. And then from there, uh, I didn't really, I'm not a very detail-oriented guy, and that job at a junior level was all detail. I was just filling out paperwork all day, it
1: felt like. So when you started working in this industry, did you find a mentor? Did you have a mentor? Or you just, you know... No, I, just I didn't did even think own.
2: about. Yeah, I didn't even think about getting a mentor. Um, I'll tell you, when I was at uh, McLaren, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dennis Dinga, uh, he was just a natural, a natural educator. Uh, he uh, he really was that guy that would walk you through scenarios, how to negotiate, because that's what my job was. I was I was once I was a buyer, you were negotiating. Yeah. You know, there's a spot, he wants to sell it to you for $200, you want to buy it for $50. <laughs> so, he was explaining how to best negotiate. So, he was probably as close to, at that time in my life, uh, a mentor that I would have had. But I was pretty much on my own. Um, so, then you decide to leave Toronto,
1: which is the yeah. financial hub of Canada, the biggest city. Yeah. The, the The unspoken capital, right? The, I
2: uh, why I uh, You know, well, it might have been circumstance, might have been... Point in my life, I, I had broken. Up. I'd been dating a girl for ten years, mm-hmm. and then we broke up. Uh, I got into a fight with the CEO of our advertising agency, which was JWR. I didn't like the way he was treating his his staff, and I was one of his senior people at the time. So we got into a fight, and I signed documents around seven o'clock that night. And the next day, I got in my car, and I drove for six months so to see where I was going to live and start. It was just
1: a decision on the living It was an on
2: the, on the spot. I actually had had my good friend, my longest friend, I told him to come live with me in Toronto, and so he had never left his parents' home. Oh, And so he left to come and live with me, <laughs> and I was gone when he showed up. <laughs> so he had my room. Did you leave him the key under I the I left <laughs> him. I called him up. And I said, this is what I'm doing. If you don't feel comfortable coming to Toronto on your own, uh, I need you to know I'm, I'm gone. Uh, so how old were you when you did this? I was 29 years old. 29. 30. And
1: how did your family respond to, I'm out of here and I'll be in I my was car? Already,
2: there was no cell phones at that was time. There no cell phone. And, no, and, you know, to be honest, in my house, at 18 you were out of the house no matter what. And you were your own man. And that was very, my dad was very, that was drilled into us. At an early age, hey. so there was we were gone. I, it, it was it was irrelevant where I was living because I was still part of the family. But I know exactly your what
1: you're talking about. Uh, I'm a former staff sergeant in Israeli that's, Defense Forces, yes, so I know exactly. exactly what your father did to you. Bye <laughs> bye.
2: But it was that's the right thing to do, and it's the same thing I've done with my son. You have to leave the house at 18. You have to go to university. Not in your your hometown. And it can't be in Calgary. Exactly. You have to be on your own.
1: Perfect. Um, Jim, thanks. Uh, We'll take a break now. We have to take our first commercial break. Um, Make sure, guys, you open a new tab and check Village Brewery website, uh, www.villagebrewery.com. Check out their beers. And most important, check their commitment to community. And we will meet you here on the other side of the commercials.
3: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
4: Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Blackberry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand.
0: tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show
1: Uh, we're back with our guest jim button uh one of the co-founders of village brewery in calgary and jim before we kind of uh went into commercial you mentioned that you got into your car and you drove away from toronto and you know when i made a move i did a whole process of finding where i want to live so what kind of process did you make in terms of deciding to move from toronto to calgary
2: yeah i'm a bit of a different cat that way i uh I'm not a big, I'm not, I'm not big into research. You know, you've obviously done your research here. That's just great. But I'm not a, I'm more of a tactile feel it. I need to feel, uh, feel and sense everything. So I got in my car and I drove east, not knowing where I was going to go. Uh, but I just knew I wanted to find the spot that I would thrive in, that I would enjoy, lots to do. And so I drove east, I ended up, you know, at trois Riviera, I went all the way through Quebec, I went through to uh, the east coast, all the way up to Halifax. Spent a bunch of time in Halifax, and I would just sleep on on couches, I would sleep in my car, I'd get the occasional hotel room when I couldn't find another way to do it, <laughs> and uh, I would call up people in advertising agencies and or go to bars, uh, and I would just ask them questions about what's the market like, what's the opportunity, do you think this is a good city to start up an agency? And the town that really uh, welcomed me, you know, and I've stayed as a result, is Calgary. When you when you f- come into Calgary and you call somebody up and say, hey, I want to, and remember, you have to call somebody up by pulling off the side of the road, getting a yellow, yellow pages out and look, right? So it's not as easy as Googling something now um, and calling while you're in your car. But I would get to... Uh, I called people in Calgary, and they would take my phone call. And these were, like, owners of companies or presidents of companies. They would take my call, and I would say, I oh, just want 15 minutes. They said, for sure, come on in, and I would meet them. And at 15 minutes, they would say, I'd say, okay, well, thank you very much for your time. They said, no, no, we're having fun. Let's keep the conversation going. They would pick up the phone, because this was before emails, and would call somebody and say, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's trying to start something up in Calgary. See if you can help him out. And that was just the attitude, the fact that when you tried to get into a lane and somebody would let you in and wave to you, very different than Toronto. Walk down the street, somebody would look you in the eye and smile, very different than Toronto. All those things said, okay, I found the right spot. If you're a good person in this town, you'll do well, was kind of how I thought when I came here. And it's proven to be that in spades.
1: One thing to clarify, you said you started driving east
2: and then I turned around and came back west. Oh, thank Perfect. You. Yeah. So I went all the way across, <laughs> went to the UK underwater, like so James and Bond. And how,
1: how long did it take you to make that decision?
2: I was well. The whole the whole experience was close to six months. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Calgary part, I didn't even go past. I didn't go west of Calgary. Uh, I didn't go out to Vancouver. You felt that this is I, the place. I, I, this was it. Yeah, I have a brother that lives here. That that added to the equation, and uh, that. But it was, the, it was the city, it was the so town. So, it's 1993. 1993. And um, September 24th. So, Calgary
1: is still struggling. That's right. Uh, financially. But, it, but it was
2: just turning around. So, that's what you saw. You saw I the saw opportunity. That. It, 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 the two towns, Halifax and, and Calgary, were, were certainly the tops on my list. But Halifax was going the other way, it felt like. Mm-hmm. It, was not, it was not going up. I could sense the up part happening here. So what was your first job in the New York City? Or? <laughs> well, my brother and I started a financial planning company. I see. Yeah, and well, which I had no experience in. And how? I have, once we get through all my jobs, you'll recognize I have no experience and I take jobs. <laughs> um, yeah, so we started that. That actually, this was before financial planning was even really a word, a mm-hmm. common word as it is today. You had your stockbroker, you had your... A uh, guy that sold you your mutual funds, you had your insurance guy, you had your disability, all those things. This was uh, Hal's vision to put it all together under one roof. And my job was to uh, do the marketing and help with the sales and create the culture.
1: And you do, do
2: this for a while. I did that for about four years. That wasn't for me. It was more for Hal. So I left that and started. And I saw another opportunity uh People looked at, in Calgary and in, in in the world at the time, events as just a party. And I saw them as a marketing tool. tool. And so I started a company called uh, The Event Group with my, my fellow I was playing football with, uh, Dave Howard. So that was in 97. And it uh, it did really well. We did uh, spectacular work, a lot of good philanthropic charity work. And that's really when I got into the charity work. Um and that event, we did things like the Big Rock Eddies, which is where I met uh, Big Rock. Uh, we created probably what I would still see as the most um, cosmopolitan, culturally forward event the city ever saw, which was a, an event called Calgary Cares, a, uh, a theater show for AIDS Calgary. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was far out. It was, it, was, it was uncomfortable for many in the city at that time. So um, you work, or you co-found
1: the event group and you stay there for how long?
2: Well, I think that was about seven years uh, and sold that back to Dave and then joined Arlene Dickinson mm-hmm. to help build her uh, events, PR, promotions, to team, Adventure. Ad- adventure. Yeah. Um, So, during that
1: period of time, um, you found it, how easy or hard was it to get integrated to the local community and the business scene in Calgary? It seems that you had a good start, at least with advice, but there's a difference between advice and when you come and sell something. I think uh,
2: the culture here was pretty easy if you put yourself out there, and I think the smartest thing that happened, so the first person I met, the very first person, other than knowing my brother, that I met in this town was my, my wife. And her mom was involved with Zoo She was a volunteer at Zoo Gala. She said, Well, why don't you volunteer for Zoo Gala? It's a great way to meet people. So I think that whole investing of time into uh, volunteering that's what opened up a lot of my channels. That's mm-hmm. what got me interested in starting the event group. I, you know, I eventually, the same year I started uh, the event group, I also became chair of Zoo Gala uh, just after four years of volunteering. And I took that over and I started a company because I could see it all. It all came together at that point.
1: I think it's a common thread through your kind of career that volunteering and community is um, almost a tool that you kind of yeah. utilize to grow your business. Uh, how important? How important is it for every business owner, small or big, to have involvement in such kind of activities? You know,
2: back then it was it was a nice thing for you to be able to do. You know, it was an important part of being a a corporate citizen. But in today's day and age, I don't think you can own a company, run a company, and not do it. I think it is a social imperative that I think consumers are going to be uh, penalizing you if you do not stand for something that's important uh, from a community investment perspective. If you, as a company, do not do something to make your community a better community, people will notice. And two things being equal, they will choose the one that actually cares more than the other. So I think, I think it's becoming more and more important and I think with the democratization through the internet that you're going to start finding that people are very aware of those things and the more they are aware of it, the more likely you will be the one that succeeds over others if you are doing a better job of it.
1: I, do you think it has to do also with all the newer generations that coming uh,
2: kind of to the business world? Yeah, that's an interesting. I've been wrestling with that. You know, the the whole conversation and the word millennial just gives me the heebie-jeebies every time I hear it, (laughs) but uh, just because people are putting so much emphasis on it and they think the world is changing fast as a result, I think what changed was the internet, not not necessarily that generation. I think this is just something that's a byproduct of it. But I do think that this generation, because of all the access to information they've had, because they've been able to see uh, both sides of a coin. They're picking one side, and that's what makes it look like they're the ones choosing it. They just happen to have a better tool to educate people and or say, I'm supporting this or you should do this. So uh, are they any different? Yeah, possibly slightly more um, outward focused than the boomers were. Um, but I still think people are people, and I don't know that there's big, huge changes that can happen that quickly. So let's go into beer. All right, here we go. Uh,
1: when did this idea of you know owning your own brewery and starting your own beer facility came?
2: You know, it, it, to it's, life? it wasn't even beer. I'll, I'll, I'll just it's not even the idea of starting a brewery. I remember working at Sears in uh, high school. I was probably about eighteen at the time, working with Scott uh, Scott Nicholson. He and I were behind the camera. I can tell you the exact moment. Standing behind the counter at pickup, so our job was with people that had big items that they purchased that we could come and we'd load it into their car. And standing behind that counter, I would start talking to people. Employees would leave their bags there so that they wouldn't be accused of, of theft. So they'd leave their bags there and they'd collect them at the end of the day. And I'd have all these conversations. I just thought to myself, I said, you know, someday, I said this to Scott, someday I'm going to own a bar because I love standing on this side and talking to people. And so... Fast forward, Molson working for there, seeing that world. Uh, fast forward even further, Big Rock was my client for like eight, ten years, um, and seeing what happened there. Then I worked at uh, Big, Big Rock, Rock. Um, and uh, I just saw the power of beer. Beer is a currency. It's a commodity. All and so its, it's a currency. Like if I want you to do something, and I just have to say, I'll bring the beer. I guarantee it. I'm not, you. Want. I'm not helping you move. You could help me move, because I would give you
1: beer. <laughs> I'll take the twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you <son>? <laughs> <laughs> Sandra.
2: <laughs> so, I feel that if I, I felt I felt more attached to that. To me, the beer was uh, was fifty percent of the equation. The other fifty percent was the ability of what beer could do. And so, it, it village is a movement as much as it is a manufacturer. A brewer of beer, so Did you know all other five partners before? Oh, that's an interesting story when we, so when you ask when I got the idea, when I was at Big Rock and we would make decisions i mm-hmm. said, uh, say, you know, I probably wouldn't do that decision, if I had my own brewery this is how I would do it, and I remember mm-hmm. saying that mm-hmm. so many times mm-hmm. and then uh, when I did, uh, uh, when I left uh, Big Rock and uh, was uh, uh, starting village at the same time I talked to a couple of guys, and I said, hey, uh, what do you think about starting the brew? We've talked about it. We've always made this sentence. We want to do it? And they both said, yeah, let's do it. Then we called Larry Kerwin, uh, who is uh, our brewmaster. Um, uh, at the time, he was uh, retired from Big Rock, and he was working uh, as a consultant at Sleeman out at Okanagan Springs in uh, Kelowna. And so we called him up and said, hey, Larry, if you are going to hire a brewer, who would you, if you if you're going to hire a brewer. who would you hire? And he goes, well, why do you ask? I said, well, we're starting a brewery. He says, when? I said, right away. He says, where? I said, Calgary. He says, uh-oh, we better talk. I said, why? He says, I just bought brewery equipment. I'm starting a brewery too. And I've got partners. <laughs> I said, oh, that's funny. So we, uh, we did a little uh, dance. Uh, we talked to Larry. We didn't, uh, it was actually Stefan that was talking to Larry. So Larry didn't know I was involved, didn't know Tom was involved. And on the other side, um, I didn't know who Larry's partners were and so with this little philosophical dance what do you believe in what's your purpose that type of stuff agreed that we were on the same page we had uh, had a lunch and we all met each other and we all knew each other we were all great friends already and it was a real high five moment it was, re- it was serendipity at its finest Kumbaya and uh, Kumbaya. big
1: hugs and uh, Cheers, high five beer and, uh, yeah all um, that
2: stuff
1: so you, you just mentioned uh, that uh, you kind of had a philosophical discussion about your purpose when did you guys create your mission vision and purpose as, as a six uh, as a six pack
2: so, let's call you the six pack yeah we're the six pack <laughs> <laughs> good call actually I've never done that beautiful um, I have uh, tried uh, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah yeah um, we uh, well, I have to tell you about one other partner that came in. Uh, Alan and Rob are uh, with AM Jade, uh, so we had five partners. Is what we were we were originally doing, going through the process of building the brewery, getting equipment. Alan and Rob own a company called AM Jade that actually buys, takes apart breweries, mm-hmm. buys, sells equipment. So they're 15 years breweries all around North America, all around Europe. So they bullied their way into our partnership. <laughs> and, and, and they and they said we had never seen a partnership group with as much experience as you guys. So they really wanted to be a part of it. They had many opportunities in the past, but they, it's always either uh, somebody that's in real estate that loves the romantic notion of starting a brewery and goes out, but never has he, they seen this. So there were six of us, six partners. Um, we sat down at the very beginning, and I made them do mood boards. Being a marketing guy. Mood boards. Tell me what you see, and i give them magazines. They have to cut out pictures to come on a piece of paper. They looked at me like I had... fell bought, from another star. Yeah, who are <laughs> you? But I made them do that because I wanted to make sure that we really understood what we, what we, what we believed in. What was our purpose? And through that, we came up with uh, the process. The name Village didn't come. Uh, as directly because, the, you know, there's the African adage of uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. It didn't come to that right away. That that was, again, serendipity. We were trying to go into the Simmons Building in East Village, mm-hmm. and uh, but that took too long. So we were calling ourselves the East Village Brewing Company. And uh, because that took so long for that process, uh, three and a half years after we actually started was when it finally was opened. Um, we decided we couldn't go in that space. So instead, we dropped the word east, it became village, and then all of a sudden I had the aha moment of this is exactly who we are. Our purpose is to gather people around the community. This is what we've all talked about. This is why we want to be having the brewery. So that's where uh, it takes a village to raise a beer came from, <laughs> was after we dropped that.
1: So um – how does the six-pack work? Uh, it's tough to have uh, six six-pack as partners. Uh, like who is responsible for what, and how do you make decisions, or whether it's the day-to-day decisions, strat- strategy decisions, uh, operation decisions. How does it work on a six-pack?
2: So I'll answer that in two parts. When we started the brewery, because we knew each other and we implicitly trusted each other, I had I paid zero attention to what equipment Larry was, Larry Allen and Robert buying. I didn't pay any attention to the structure that Tim was putting together. I didn't worry about any of the operational things. You know, when it came to our pro forma, I didn't pay attention to that. Stefan had it. Um, Tom had the distribution. I had the marketing. So, and the communities. Tom and I share that. So at the beginning, we all just went out and did stuff. We'd come back, have a meeting, and say, okay, here's what I'm doing. This is a big purchase. Everybody good with it? Yes. You know, and that's so it was very fast. We were able to move fast, uh, lightning fast in getting going because we had everybody doing areas of expertise taking care of it. Fast forward to the operational side. Only two partners are um, operation are, are, are what we call employees of the brewery. That would be Tom and I. Marketing, sales, both of us handling community. We've hired a gentleman to run um, the operations of it. The other partners still invest time, but they have other activities that are their priorities. Um, I'm kind of split 50 between Evan Sunt and Village, um, but I still probably put 45-50 hours a week into, into Village. Um, so, right now, that partnership group gets together on on big decisions, but operationally, uh, Tom and I are in their day-to-day. And- I'm sure that those 40, 50 hours as you spend a week
1: uh, at the brewery, you also have to taste the beers, right? Okay. To make sure that everyone's quality while I is. I do
2: get that. Lovely. Yeah, perfect. We actually every Friday there's a, a tasting. So, do oh, okay. you want to come down? What time? I'll tell you, 10 a.m. <laughs> it's a perfect time to start drinking beer. Uh,
1: we have to take our second commercial break. Um, open a new tab and now check uh, Jim's blog and Jim's uh, website. It's www.getterwithjim.com. Check his blog and follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as connect with him on LinkedIn. And we will be back with Jim in about two to three minutes.
4: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
3: Are you finding your frequency? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. news, 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 news opinions. opinions. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show
1: Uh, we're back here with Jim Button of uh, Village Brewery. And, and Jim, um, now that we know it's instead of the six co-founder, it's the six-pack.
2: Uh, <laughs> you making sure
1: it counts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you raise money? Oh, that's the biggest challenge that an entrepreneur has when they, or have if it's mm-hmm. a group, when they come to, especially you have to invest in equipment and invest in location and salaries. How did you raise money?
2: Yeah, and at that time the uh, rules in Alberta were that you had to be able to produce uh, uh, 5,000 hectoliters uh, of beer in that first year. So it meant probably about a two and a half million dollar investment. Uh, now it's, you can you can create a brewery for a couple hundred grand. <laughs> uh, we had uh, we had it was easy enough to between the six partners uh, to be able to fund it and uh, get some uh, investment in from a bank. But we thought we'd try a little different. You know, if our purpose was really as a movement to uh, invest in the community and give 10% of our bottom line back into into the city, then we thought it made sense that we got people that were already doing that to be partners. So we handpicked people that were engaged Calgarians and went out and asked them to invest a a small amount. We ended up having 50 um, limited partners. We created our structure was... uh, 40% of the company was a limited partnership. And went and asked these people if they wanted to be a part of it and uh, really didn't pay attention to the financial side of it. You know, the financial side would come. It was more, do you believe in the movement? Do you believe in the idea, the ideals of what we're trying to do? And if so, join us. And so that's how we uh, got 40% of our funding.
1: And, you know, going back to uh, your... uh, activities or, or, or belief, I would say, that uh, connecting to community is, is a very important uh, side of the business. Do you see that as a key, um, I would say, route to success from local entrepreneurs that have to
2: compete with the big conglomerates, big wells? Yeah. The big guys have got efficiencies. They've got deep pockets. Uh, if you fight on price, you will lose every time. If you're a commoditized product, you will lose every time. If you stand for something, if you believe in something, people will follow. And I think I I, I can't I can't help but believe that's becoming even more uh, relevant these days. And it is exactly what has helped us uh, thrive. We're big believers in growing the industry as well. So. When we started, we helped form the Alberta Small Brewers Association. I've joined Beer Canada. I've really immersed myself and, and every other partner's immersed themselves in the beer industry as well as our community uh, to help grow that. Uh, it's, you know, it's, if, if, I, if I support a small brewery, and we have a beer perhaps called the uh, Village Friend, where we make a beer with a small brewer and an up and coming, just brand new brewery. We make the beer with them together at our brewery. We sell the beer, we put their name on it and it's a collaborative ale and they get to learn new equipment. They get to, you know, see how we do things. But all the proceeds from that beer go to them to buy new equipment for them. Now imagine any other industry where I work with my competitor, we build a product together, but all the profit goes to this small guy, my new competitor. So you can say that Village Brewery is a mentor? We would be a mentor, yeah. That was actually when we started. That was also one of our big imperatives, is that we had to... uh, Larry Larry had been brewing. He's arguably the most experienced, is the most experienced brewer, brewmaster in the country, probably North America. And his desire to come back from retirement was twofold. One, he wanted to get his hands dirty on a small brewery and start (laughs) it fresh again. In his vision, and number two, he wanted to mentor the next generation of brewers. So we've had two brewers that have worked with us; have both started new breweries. We've supported them through that process, not financially, um, but spiritually and with equipment and with know-how, et cetera. But this is this is who we are. That's we are we are trying. We we, we were blessed and lucky to have a partnership group that's got close to 190 years now of beer experience. Why wouldn't we support? Um, the industry and help grow the industry because the more people understand craft and understand their local products, the more likely they are to purchase it. So it helps us in the long run as well.
1: We should say that you have 190 years experience in being sober while (laughs) dealing with beer, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Um, So share with us a story or two of what are the highlights of your community involvement since the uh, village brewery kind of uh, started
2: well the two you know there's so many we probably you know upwards of 600 yeah. pick two one pick or two pick two or even one pick one I'm going to go well two I'm going to mention two but I'll detail one Okay. Uh, best of Calgary best of Calgary the economy turned down uh, two years ago here as we all know and uh, people were talking about leaving people you know young people were saying this isn't the place I can grow a career I have to leave uh, people were pessimist about our economy our, our city and we said no there are so many fantastic things in the city let's celebrate them so we bought uh, this is a, an initiative started by Gary Davies we bought the uh, trademark the wordmark of from fast forward on best of Calgary and we did the surveys that best of Calgary did um, and asked people what are the best ofs what's the best restaurant who's the best uh, uh, agitator who's the best uh, restaurant and we not only celebrate all the great things, but we also made a conference, an ideas week where there's a, a week-long conference on what do we need to do to make the uh, city a better place. We had the Telus Community Day, with the ATB uh, Business Day, the first Calgary Financial Labs where you had ten different things. There's an incredible immigration dinner on Monday that I'm going to with five different immigrants making different meals from their, from their country, so this is a, a long, a long path but it's something that's really important to the city and something that would be uh, uh, in my dream 10 years from now would be a long full thing. The other one would be circle the wagons. I know this city looks differently than it did 60 years ago. Back then 1 in 350 were a visible minority. Today it's 1 in 4. In 2020 it'll be 2 in 5. Our city has changed but people still see us as a bunch of old white boys, uh, cowboys and and oil and gas, right? And that's not who we are. If you come to the city, you will see it's a very vibrant, multicultural, exciting town. And people that live in the suburbs, uh, people that lived here a long time think it's a boring town. People that are new or live downtown say, there's so much to do. So we created this festival called Circle the Wagons and we're gonna just move it. It started in the epicenter of the city, built built up a following, and are gonna move it out into the suburbs so people can actually see all the great stuff That happens, and it introduces people from downtown to the suburbs. 5,000 people the last two years have come to this event, and it's it's glorious. It's coming September 9th.
1: Um, Jim, I'll take a break from business, and I want to ask you a very personal question. Uh, You're fighting your own personal war, and um, can you
2: share with us? Sure. Um, You can find a lot of information, as you said, at gatherwithjim.com, which is a blog I started to try and. Help people that were uh, confused on how do you deal with somebody that has cancer. You know, what, what, how do you approach them? What are the questions? If I have cancer, um, where are my resources? So I just want to be able to help people through that through that website. But three years ago, I was uh, rafting with my kids, and I wasn't. Something didn't feel right, and I uh, so I ended up two days later going into the hospital. Found out my appendix was was about to burst, but. Uh, the doctor, in doing that, had to do an x-ray, and when he did the x-ray, he came back He said, okay, Jim, uh, yeah, we have to get your appendix out in the next two hours, but your bigger problem is you have a baseball-sized tumor on your, on your kidney, you have cancer. I said, okay, this is a bad day. Went, uh, went through that process, had the uh, kidney removed, and got tested every six months, um, and about, I think it was about nine months, a year later can't remember exactly, but got tested, My one of my tests uh, showed that it had metastasized now in my lungs, uh, so I had 15 lesions in my lungs, so I've got um, renal cell carcinoma is what it, it is, and so the, it's, what is it, stage four terminal renal cell carcinoma, and so uh, in that doctor's office that day, he said, uh, he said, Jim, you have, uh, you have a year to live, and that's past. I've, I've, I'm a month or two away from that. It was the last May. So, yeah, so a month away. Um, and so I, you know, I went home and I, I started thinking about uh, what what does this mean? You know, how does this change my, change my life? Does it change my life? And I got this most interesting text. My wife and I were just sitting on the bed dealing with this process. And this text came from my friend Avnish. He has a company called Standing Command, and he's he's a very spiritual man. He's been meditating his whole life, and he uh, he sent the text. He said, "Jim, I took you into a healing exercise, and I spotted uh, some clouds over your lungs. Uh, you may want to get that checked." So he actually, through his meditation, was able to identify that I had uh, cancer before the medical system did. So that took me down a whole meditated meditative mindfulness journey, but. Yeah, I'm dealing with uh, I'm dealing with this, uh, and it's uh, my process. Like most things, is I'm kind of just pretending it's not there, but having to deal with it. I'm on uh, immunotherapy. Uh, it's a drug called Sutent, and it basically takes uh, the immunotherapy goes to the cancer cells and, and uh, for all intents and purposes, it, it slows the cancer from growing. And so, no cure, but <coughs> slowing it down.
1: What did you learn about your partners, about the the six pack, when they heard about your disease?
2: Both, both the every every everybody has been brilliant. Um, the six pack and Dan and Bill at Evan's Sund both gave me whatever you need, whatever time you need, uh, take it. I uh, so I took I took the summer off last summer and uh, spent it at the cottage in Muskoka. Uh, didn't work for me. Uh, having everybody told me go and relax think about nothing and that was the worst thing for me (laughs) I need to be busy I need to not think about it and so I came back to work after that and uh, you know there's never been any question on anybody's behalf on how much I work um, when I work uh, but they've all been very open to I still produce I still do I still do whatever I need to get done and I you know and I'm a that's who I am I'm an overachiever so I still accomplish what they need but They've never asked for it. They've always just given me the space to...
1: By the way, did you complete the blog, uh, The Gift of Cancer? Did I complete it? Yeah, because I read in one of the places that you did not complete it. You In one of the speeches you gave, you said, I did not complete that blog.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I'm... I Yeah, th- that whole blog writing process, you know, it's probably not too dissimilar to this podcast for you. It's a cathartic... To me, it's cathartic. It is... There is... So many, I I start a blog many times and I've got a blog. My next blog, I'll be starting without knowing what I want to write because I've got something in my head. I've started so many blogs, just started writing to see where it goes and it ends up in the weirdest places.
1: Um, I have one last question because we're getting to the end of our show. Uh, And um, if you have to give a new entrepreneur one piece of advice, what will it be?
2: Just do it. You know, there's too many people take too long to think through, to make it perfect, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to screw up in ways you can't even possibly see it. But you won't know that till you actually begin it. So just start. That's the only advice I will ever give.
1: To one question, we have 10 seconds. Yeah. If you had the chance to meet two people dead or alive, who would you invite for a beer?
2: Who would I invite? I'd, uh, I'd ask my mom to come back for a beer. She was the first. She's the blonde on my case of beer. And I would probably invite Albert Einstein. I have no idea why. It just popped in. Probably because I like his hair.
1: <laughs> I see. Uh, perfect. Uh, so we reached the end of uh, today's show, Taking Care of Business. I would like to thank uh, my guest, Jim Button, uh, one of Village's six-pack uh, and, or co founders, or whatever. <laughs> uh, sharing your personal story, which is an amazing story, and we wish you all the best uh, and, and uh, your experience in launching and growing a, a local brewery. Uh, wish you all the best and best health in the world. Uh, next Tuesday, I'll be hosting Tara Molina, um, president of uh, New Wave Media, a full service marketing agency. Uh, Before we end, I would like to thank uh, Aaron Keller, our dedicated engineer, Cassandra Hannison, my loyal production assistant, and my executive producer, Winston Price. And most important, I would like to thank you, the listeners. Uh, Don't forget uh, to like us on Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn, and follow me on Twitter. We would love to hear back from you. My email is dvwallack at gmail.com. I wish you all a uh, prosperous week, and I will meet you here next week, Tuesday, June 13th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach.